Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. The Coaches Network. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Network. Today, I've got a very special guest with me, um, and the topic's a bit different, but. Um, we're going to go there and we'll see how it goes. I've got Professor Michael Hornberger with me. Michael, how are you today? Great. Thank you for having me here. Thank you for being with me. And Michael, just to kind of um, give uh, the listeners a bit of a backdrop around the world of sport. Um, so I'm, cu- I'm curious as, as coaches in regards to supporting. Yeah, sure. You know, the physical activity and exercise of sport is hugely important for uh, our brain fitness. So that's already great. You're covering already a lot with that. And um, because we know that physical activity is, as I said, uses the brain quite a lot and therefore really provides it uh, a lot of nutrients and oxygen. It's a major, major glucose and oxygen user in the body. It only has 2% of our body weight, but uses 20% of oxygen and glucose. So it's a massive, massive you know, consumer everything we do and therefore how we basically feed uh, our body and our brain and how we exercise the key thing is i think for in particular when you when you coach people that uh, you know these will be fairly fit people what we have mostly issues is once people hit middle age what happens after that because most people start to slow down their physical activity and that's actually when you need it the most and that's what we see for aging and people become much more sedentary while what has been shown is that the more active you are, the better your brain health is. So being physically active, 
and you know hitting those milestones like public health England has certain milestones for people to hit and which we can talk about maybe later and um, it's really important to have a, a healthy brain and people really underestimate this hugely they think doing a crosswords is keeping their brain fit and I'm very happy for you to do crosswords that's always a good thing to do if you want to do that but being physically fit helps you much much more and has shown the more physically fit you stay, you reduce the chances of any diseases, including dementia, cancer, diabetes, by, you know, 30 to 40 percent. So it's a massive, massive impact. Yes. I guess for you, what, what you maybe, and I don't know how much, you know, I don't know much about coaching, but what you might need to take into account is for the brain fitness, for the psychological element and mm. mental health. Yeah. Again, I don't know what you do already over this, but there is the, the things, how do you keep people in a way that you create what we would call a resilient brain? So, and you can see that, of course, a lot with, you know, even professional sports nuts, which really crumble under the pressure, which is piled up on them. How you create a kind of resilience to be mentally healthy and mentally strong to deal with those situations. And that's quite hard, of course, to train because you really need to show people well, from our perspective, I think it's good to fail in that sense. So repeated failure is always a good thing that people learn that failing from time to time is actually a good thing because it's a learning opportunity. And therefore, a failure should not be feared. It's really something you should be after that you can therefore, especially for professional people, of course, that, you know, it's this one or two percent which might make a huge difference. You can still tweak them and really make people more resilient. And that will prepare them much better for any competition or any other stressful situation. That's what we always see, the people who are much more mentally health resilient usually do much, much better in those situations. Sure, and I kind of just want to take you back to something you touched on uh, before around this idea that physical, I guess, exercise and physical activity obviously supports brain uh, health and fitness in that respect. Is there any, uh, I guess, particular activities or um, types of movements or, to, or or exercises that maybe promote a greater sense of uh, health and benefit health benefits within the brain so for the brain the key is really cardiovascular activity that's the major one um that you have if you have good cardiovascular health you usually do very well so your cardio but i always say of course to the people we deal with which is more the aging population that strength exercises are as, as important you know and that's really really key you know, these strength exercises are much more than to avoiding falls or injuries i think and people very often uh, you know i um, i say this the core strength can be such a critical part which people always underestimate you know you can have lots of muscles on the outside but if you don't have good core strength of course you can still be pushed over but in terms of brain health, the cardiovascular health is uh, cardiovascular fitness is key for that. So if you do any of the major cardiovascular, you know, like running, cycling, swimming, whatever, you know, in those your or football, like what you know you guys are doing, then you usually will be your brain will be very healthy. Because the key is that the brain is so reliant on this blood supply. So if you have good cardiovascular fitness, you usually have good cardiovascular health, which impacts then as well on your brain health. And it's all about the blood vessels in the brain, which really provide those nutrients and the oxygen to the brain. Once the blood vessels are getting, you know, for example, blocked or, uh, you know, they're getting more brittle, then you have a problem. But if you, of course, you are very physically active, that doesn't happen. Mm. So I guess, you know, essentially what you're saying, the more active we are generally, 
the better it is for the brain. So I guess, you know, one of the things you touched on, obviously, as we get older, that becomes more challenging. Um, so I guess, are there any, I guess, shortcuts to kind of keeping keeping on top of that? You know, not necessarily, you know, in some ways, what you're saying is really you're trying to avoid a sedentary lifestyle. Um, Absolutely. Yes. As we, you know, as we do grow as uh, up in, you know, a lot of us are based in office-based environments, um, maybe not always fortunate enough to be in an active, uh, I guess, job. So what are, what are some small little bits that people maybe start to implement in their day-to-day lives? And then obviously have, the, have I guess, an, from a different perspective as well, what, what are some of the things that maybe as coaches or practitioners we could think about doing um, within our practice that can help our athletes or young people, um, I guess, get an extra extra one or two percent in, in in supporting them in the, developing their brain health. Yeah, I think uh, you said already the key word. I think for me, it's all about how do you incorporate as much in your daily life already. You know, there is of course the whole exercise element, and I do that myself, and that's great. But if you incorporate it into your in your everyday life, then you can boost yourself just by doing what you do anyway and you know I have to say myself of course I do a desk job you know in uh, sitting most days so I have to be very very careful with that but what I've changed for example I've uh, I myself I cycle to work and cycle back you know and I see loads of people always wear suits and so on but you know it doesn't matter you just get changed you know you cycle to work and cycle back and with that my daily routine has already changed hugely and so do my kids. So I cycle them to school, cycle home and, you know, do do this as a kind of a general routine. The key, the other key thing is, of course, you know, that people, if they sit a lot of desks these days, standing desks are a great option. It's not for everyone, but if people can use that, it makes a huge difference. So the whole sedentary behavior is really terrible for us and evolutionary were never meant to be um, for, you know, to, to, to do that. So I think in terms of for you, I think how you, you really need just to get a, a people's the attitude that they are, you know, need to be as active as possible the whole day while having sufficient rest. And that's the balance, I guess, for you to strike. But then without the brain fitness will clearly come uh, in terms of general brain fitness. Then you can start talking maybe more about specific brain training, which is sport related. And lots of this is about, you know, what we will call sensory motor action. So how do you link best up your sensory system and your motor system, which most sports, that's what they really are about, you know, to be a quick reaction, be very, uh, in, you know, quick noticing what's going to happen and quick reaction to that and then perform accordingly. And there are actually a lot of systems out there now which are used um, to, to really provide people instant feedback and really get much, much better. And the controversy still is about whether it really translates into real life. And that's the key thing. You know, so if you do, for example, virtual reality training, uh, it really you get much better at these training programs in terms of your brain fitness. But whether it really kind of changes your performance in real life from the scientific point of view, it's still the jury is still out actually on that. And that's a really interesting topic because a lot of, of course, companies offer this now for for brain training aspects so this is one thing just to be a bit wary about and just know that it might not make as a big big effect as if you do the training in real life mm. no, no you make some great points and obviously some of the resources that are out there that there is organizations and companies as you've mentioned there that are starting to put some of these packages together and 
uh, I guess, look at uh, collaborating with different people to kind of get this over across to athletes. But, and I'm just curious, uh, you know, from a perspective of maybe someone who might be listening to this and it's not, maybe not from a, shall we say, a quote unquote elite or high performance setting where they may not have access to certain um, products or certain uh, services and, and whatnot. Is there something that they could be doing on a day to day in their in their practice in their practice? Sorry, um, that would help them, I guess, bridge some of those gaps. Yeah, well, I think it will depend a lot on the sport. I guess they they want to to be doing, but I think in general, whatever I always say to people, you know, what they already like doing, just do more of that. That's already great. And lots of people, of course, blame they don't have time for this. It's really just making that time. And then for me, it's doing the cross, you know, cross sport kind of, as I said, some cardiovascular and some strength. Uh, if you're, you know, into, if you like yoga or Pilates, that's always great because it's also great for your mental health in terms of breathing and meditation. That really, really, you know, then you cover a lot of aspects, even if you just do a very quick 10 minutes in the morning can make a huge difference to your whole outlook to the day. And then have to add to this, the, the, the cardiovascular element and then just being as active as possible, walking, being sitting, not sitting around a lot, I think would make a, a big difference to you. You can do then other things, you know, which are much more specific, as I said, to 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 do practice with whatever. If you have ball skills, for example, if you, you know, you're a football or rugby player, there are loads of drills out there and they're already very well designed these days. But you can always combine this, of course, with other, you know, to the cross-discipline type sports and that's really it's always amazing if you do a different sport how it actually can improve your own sport and the same for your brain fitness actually because it's the different brain areas which you're stimulating with that so in the brain they're different i don't know if how much i should go into this but in the brain we have specific areas specialized for example for your movement or for your sensory system and they're very much arranged and uh, along a very specific topography and so it might mean that you have neighboring regions which are really might actually boost each other if you train, for example, some, you know, for example, if you're a footballer, you work mostly with your feet, maybe, and then you do, for example, exercises which are much more with your hands. This might actually help your football playing as well because you're stimulating the brain areas which are just adjacent to your to your leg and uh, and foot, basically brain areas. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I guess kind of just to kind of pick on that. A couple of things kind of started to, I guess, come to mind for me as questions or thoughts to consider. Firstly, you talk about about different brain areas and I guess how they might contribute to one another. Is there a, I guess, in terms of brain health, brain fitness, and I guess um, being efficient and maximizing an opportunity for people to maybe develop and learn more is there certain activities that will trigger certain parts of the brain to kind of uh, allow for more, I guess, more retention of information, if, if that makes sense? Well, it depends on your proficiency. So what we know is for the, if you learn, for example, a new skill or new sport, it will be very effortful at the beginning for any one of us, you know? Um, I don't know, the classic for what we always use as an example for the students is learning to ride a bike, you know, which we all do as a children, you know. It's, if you think about it, it's extremely complex to learn that because it has a lot of motor movements, uh, stability or vestibular system, loads of elements to it, you know, very difficult to learn. And it's very exhausting if you learn that as an, as an adult, actually. Once you become proficient, then this learning basically becomes not conscious anymore, but subconscious. 
And that will really kind of move therefore in terms of the brain areas related to this. So there are brain areas which are much more for learning a new skill and they are very exhausting for us because once we learn that this will be very hard. Then they move into the sport where we become proficient at something and it becomes more subconscious how we do things. And then there's a third level, which is really all the fine tuning. And this is really, I think, what the professionals are much more into, you know, where you really, it's very minor gains for what you, how you can train your brain. And th th those are the three stages. They all influence each other. And therefore, it's always good to learn something new because it might actually boost your existing proficient skills, if that makes sense. So that's, and that's a classic, of course, in terms of cross-training, you know, that's why it's such, so successful. It's not only for your body to use different muscle groups, but it also uses different parts of your brain in terms of the learning. Mm. And I kind of, you know, just another kind of thing to kind of tail off the back of that. Then. Is there, is there, uh, I'm sure there is, I'm curious to know, from a nutritional perspective, is there certain foods which will elicit better responses in terms of, uh, I guess, from the brain in terms of retention of information and obviously just a general uh, the well-being of the brain. Yeah, uh, nutrition is a huge topic, of course, as well. You know, um, in terms of nutrition, what the brain, um, where we can first, you know, everybody knows, I guess, that you know, too much sugar, too much fat is not good for you. But the major one for the brain, which we're worried about, is also too much salt, uh, and particularly because it increases the blood pressure, and blood pressure increases can actually damage some of the blood vessels in the brain. So you need to be quite careful in terms of salt consumption, especially for people who, who eat a lot of ready meals. Ready meals are very often packed with salt because for flavoring, that they get the most out of the flavoring. So that's, those are the negative aspects. And everybody knows this, you know? you know, you shouldn't eat those sweets, you shouldn't eat those muffins, but we do. And I think for me, that's all fine as long as you have a good portion control in place. In terms of food, which is good for the brain, there's actually a whole range of, of foods which are potentially good for the brain, but there are two major groups where there are, is particularly shown to have a, a good impact. One is uh, called the omega-3s, and these are kind of uh, like um, fats or oils which are really good for the brain. So they're the bad fats and the good fats, and omega-3s, for example, are fats which are really, really good for the brain. It really helps it to regenerate the nerve cells being much more kind of... Um, uh, as I said, being quicker at regenerating it for learning new things and making lists, but also lots of other vegetables, and you can look that up. Um, just be careful with supplements. Often they don't, well, studies have shown that they're not as effective, actually, as eating the natural food. So again, something to be aware of. The, the shortcuts, as you mentioned already before, very often the shortcuts turn out to be dead ends, not shortcuts. So I need to yeah. be careful about that. For example, dark berries like strawberries, blueberries, also grapes, and also in wine, if taken in moderation, those really elements, they really boost uh, nerve cell growth. That's really known for this. So for learning, really, really good. And uh, so there's lots of very good scientific evidence showing that if you consume more of those, you actually, your brain will become much more um, switched on. But again, just be careful with um, all these you know, supplements, supplements, they can be very often not as effective as eating the right foods. And um, if you look that up, you can find loads of healthy, you know, everyday food everybody can buy, which has is rich of those two elements. And that will really improve your, your brain fitness quite a lot. And um, 
in recent years, it has been moved away from certain food groups and has moved much more towards what diets are good and the, the really good diet, which has been shown to be very effective for good cardiovascular health and brain health, the Mediterranean diet. And uh, with that, I mean the, the classic Mediterranean diet, so which is, you know, fairly um, um, very little red meat actually, and it's much more if meat than white meat, and it's usually more pulses and much more vegetables. And again, in all vegetables, you have loads of these polyphenols, oily fish again, and most of the fat of course, of course comes from, from uh, extra virgin olive oil, which is unsaturated fats and therefore very, very healthy for us. Um, but clearly this is something maybe some households to have, so you need to be quite carefully balanced it off. But if you after a healthy diet for your brain, then a Mediterranean diet is your best, basically, bet. Mm. I know it's interesting stuff there. And I kind of just again as you're talking, I'm just thinking that you know about some of the ways in which we can have a contributing factor to, to athletes in this case. I'm conscious now, is it to prime uh, an athlete for greater retention ahead of the session? And then during the session, are there certain cues, cues or triggers that maybe we can look out for or that we can kind of uh, push buttons on, if that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, those are more psychological tactics than which you can use. Um, I think one good way is to, to do, uh, if you, for example, do different, different, um, do different sessions or different kind of aspects in your training to make them as distinct as possible, actually. And that usually helps retention a lot. The other, if retention is very good, if we're in a much more emotional receptive state. So if something is fun to do, people will really much better remember it usually, or when it's very sad, but I'm not sure you want to create a lot of sadness in the people you're training. That's not really good. But the emotional side, usually once we have, and we all have that emotional events, you remember this much better in your life. And this is really, if you can use that somehow in making, for example, fun aspects or making something silly, everybody will remember that training because that's what you did. And they might remember therefore much better how you actually retain this. And it might mix things, of course, up, but making them also as distinct as possible. That's really the key and having them in different locations. So our memory works a lot that we are placing things in time and it's... Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Base, and the more distinct you can make that, the better the retention of that information will be because otherwise it will all merge into one, if that makes sense. Just on that, then, in terms of you know, making it distinct, uh, maybe I could share an example with you. You could kind of you know, clarify I'm on the right path or not. Um, let's say, for instance, I'm working with, with, with a couple of players and they're doing, uh, I guess, just a passing exercise where they're just passing back and forth. Um, is it distinct in the sense that I'm going to take them away from passing or distinct in the sense that the context of which they're passing in is now different. It can be either. It can be that you put them in a completely different context, for example, where they would have never done this and say, well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm doing an absurd example now. You know, today we're going passing. We're doing passing on an ice hockey ring. You know, <laughs> they would think that yeah, as if you're completely crazy. But they will, of course, they will need much more skills to stay, first of all, upright and pass the ball. 
or you say, well, today we're not using the normal ball, we're using a different type of ball, whatever you want to use. That changes then the context of it, which might disrupt everything in there, how they're thinking about it, because otherwise it's so automatic. And that's what I mentioned before, especially if they're professionals, they're so proficient for them. This is all subconscious happening and, you know, this reinforcing this, and that's great. But you want to disrupt this subconscious with the kind of, you know, novelty and the novelty aspect is by disrupting the context, for example, by changing the ball for the passing or changing the context where they're doing the passing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I guess, you know, for me, yeah, I'm looking at that, I'm thinking, all right, well, I've got a, a session where, as an example, um, where it's a two, two, so one, one-on-one situation and I'm just looking to maybe get around the player and pay, make a pass. However, if I now shift shift that to, I guess, maybe a 2v1 situation and have a slightly different context, that's great. But then I'm now conscious about how much time do we spend on each context for, I guess, to maybe potentially maximise the, the, the benefit of that. Because if you spend too much time on it, that obviously decreases the, uh, the engagement factor. Um, Absolutely. So that's why you need to keep it quite novel, I think, in mixing it up. I think in terms of time range, I wouldn't know. I think that's that's something you would, you know, you would have to play around with, I think. Um, but all I can tell you from the brain's, you know, receptiveness for novelty, disruption is the key aspect for that. And so that you bring something in a completely different context, which might seem the, the more absurd, the better, okay. you know. And, you know, saying, I don't know. So, so you want to disrupt them in, in terms of that they really start to rethink the whole process they do. Right. I, I'm just, you know, as I said, I'm, a, yeah. I'm not a coach. So I don't know how you, but for example, say, I don't know, today you're going to have to wear a wig to do the headless or whatever, something like this, which would be really weird to yeah, people. And you focus to something completely different. And then exactly. Bring them back to that. So exactly. In some ways, Correct me if I'm wrong in my understanding, but what you're saying is if we going down a path, we're leaving the foot the footprint. We're gonna we're gonna wash it away and then come back to it. And then we're gonna re-cement those footprints, but this time we might get deeper with them. Exactly. Well, you're not washing them away because they're already in the subconscious for people, because they're super proficient. But what happens if once you disrupt it, you switch on these what I meant, these conscious learning systems in the brain where people start laughing and then maybe fooling a bit around, but then they take it seriously again. And with that, these conscious elements will then also impact on the subconscious one and it will improve them further because it's different contexts you use then. And that makes, again, players should make players more resilient as well towards, you know, having different contexts and not, not being that it's, you know, the situations that maybe even completely absurd situations in training might, might prepare them for unusual situations on the pitch and not just the standard training situations, if that makes sense. No, definitely. I'm just curious then, so how, how, how important is it then that you change the context of what you're doing rather than shift their focus to something else? As an example, we're doing an activity, whatever that might be, and we break off and have a conversation about something. Or does it have to be a, an activity per se? Do you, do you get what I mean by that? Yes, but I think if you do a conversation and that's a very different kind of, I think it's more reinforcing what you want to teach to people. So there's two different elements, the practical element, and then you, people do things, and then the theoretical element where you teach them on a board or whatever. And you should always use them in both because they both will integrate very well. But what I meant more is kind of, 
you, you can change the context of either the practical or the theoretical situation. Do you see what I mean? And that will really kind of more re reinforce the learning, actually what people need to do. So for the practical one, as I said, create a different context or for the theoretical one that, you know, today you, you use other examples which people would not assume and then they start thinking deeper about this and it will again, will inform that. So I think that's why I wouldn't say these are kind of, you know, is a healthy brain. It's really key. Cardiovascular health is absolutely key. very, very important with, you know, being as physically active as possible with very little sedentary behavior and as well having good nutrition, you know, and everybody knows this, don't smoke, don't drink too much alcohol, have a really healthy, balanced diet. It will make all the difference, especially if you go, of course, towards more the professionals where all these, it's about very, very small margins. But even if you're just an amateur sport person, this will make a huge, huge difference to how you actually will perform. And um, that, that is really key in terms of your brain fitness. For your psychological well-being, try to be as resilient as possible. So being anxious and depressed is terrible for the brain and will impact, of course, your performance, but also it will really have a bad impact on your, on your, on your brain fitness. And really try to foster this kind of resilience, which is absolutely key. Uh, you know, that we are becoming much more resilient in our, in our mental health. And I've mentioned, you know, I mentioned this always in all my talks, this is a particular for men and middle-aged men, a key, key aspect, um, because people very often are not aware that, for example, in the UK, the suicide rate is the highest for middle-aged men. And very often we're not taking into, you know, our mental health too serious. And that's the, that's a really key element to be aware of that, talk to your mates or seek help. I think that would be make a, a big, big difference for lots of people already. No, brilliant. And you can just obviously linking into uh, some of the stuff that you've done in terms of more, your research, which is dementia. You know, what what are some of the biggest risks for or people in general, but more specifically in the athlete athlete world, um, in terms of falling into a risk of having dementia? What, you know, what, what are some of the challenges that people face on a day to day? Obviously, you've mentioned earlier. The idea of uh, being active is obviously going to play a heavily key role in, in maintaining the health, health and fitness of the brain. Um, how does that lend itself to now this, this whole concept of dementia? Yeah, I think we know. So when people think of dementia, they always think of old people and majority of people with dementia, of course, are old. But I think what we think today is that, you know, dementia is a disease of middle age presenting at old age. And what I mean with that is that the first processes in the brain for dementia actually very often start in middle age already. And you can see that people might not have symptoms yeah. until very, you know, much later in their life, but their brain starts to change in middle age. And therefore that's where we need to make changes to our life and our lifestyle. And the key is to, to stay as healthy as possible as you can. And again, being physically active, so just being physically active reduces your risk of dementia by 30%. It's incredible. But of course, you know, that's what the less we do, the older we get. It's the classic, it's this completely bizarre situation that once we hit middle age and have children, our very busy lifestyles, the less we move. And that's actually when we need it the most. And also the older we get. It's not going crazy. And, you know, there's the whole midlife crisis aspect to it. So I don't want people going out there running crazy marathons. It's again, just living a physically active life. And that's really important. In terms of sport, well, you know, the key aspect for sport, and there's been, of course, a lot of news on this, is what we call concussion 
So when people have concussion, and that's of course in sport now, it's such a big, big topic. Mm. And tons of sports which have very common concussion symptoms. And of course, the classics for this are, for example, rugby, um, are also uh, ice hockey is very, you know, not so big in the UK, but like in the US and Canada, it's a very, very big topic. The same for American football, of course, in the US, again, very, very big topic, concussions. But it has now, of course, come over here in terms of uh, football and heading the football. Now, heading the football is not necessarily concussion. So you have sometimes in football, of course, when two players co collide. And, you know, we had recently, we had this very bad incident, of course, was it an Arsenal Wolves game, wasn't it, where two players really had a very bad concussion. And um, this was really, it, you know, it's quite rare, thankfully. But what, um, and in those situations, really clearly players need to be checked. But for sport, uh, if you have what we call a subconcussive syndrome, so this is, for example, heading the ball, re ball repeatedly, this can also make brain changes to your brain. Mm. Now, what, what changes are these? Oh, sorry, the final one I forgot, of course, is the obvious one is boxing. You know, if you do boxing, you will have a lot of concussion. It's, it's, that's the nature of the sport, obviously. So, you know, being protected for that is key. But um, so what is happening in concussion? And in concussion, basically what happens is the brain, you have to imagine, sits in the head in kind of like a bubble of fluid uh, to protect it. So when we move around, that the brain doesn't bounce against the skull all the time. So it's like in a fluid, you know, kind of uh, floating about. Mm. What happens in a concussion is that you have an impact on your head from either direction, which is so hard that this fluid, which kind of cushions the brain, is not sufficient and the brain really hits the side of the skull. And that can cause, um, you know, that happens. So it can happen to every one of us from time to time. But what happens in the brain, it creates a kind of small damage to the brain. Uh, and it creates what we call an inflammatory process in the brain. And the inflammation is just a sign that the brain wants to heal itself and it's a perfect normal process. But if you have this inflammation happening repeatedly, so people have repeated concussions or these subconcussions, then it can really, the, the immune system can go into what we call like an overdrive. It can actually start to damage the brain. And that's when really the problems start then. So people can really start brain symptoms. The other problem is if you have the first beginnings of dementia, the neuroinflammation can fan the fire of this. So then the dementia really comes rapidly on for people. So for sports people, that's a key, key aspect to, to understand in terms of especially concussion side is a really, really a uh, risk factor for having later on uh, poorer brain health or even developing dementia. Uh, you make some great points there. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things, you're right, it has become a massive thing in sport um, over recent years. I think it's always, it's always been a big thing, but maybe not appreciated how severe it can be, how severe the effects of you know, these things can be. Um, but obviously, you know, we've, see, we've seen some unfortunate things over the last few years where people have had long-lasting uh, damage shall we say because of a different situation not just in football specifically but as you mentioned the other sports as well so I guess you know from a uh, <laughs> you know without the obvious don't get you're not don't get don't take a knock on the head um, don't go and headbutt anything and you know I guess wear a helmet what are, what are some of the you know I guess simple things that people could be considering to kind of just take a bit more care on that aspect of things and more specifically if we're working with young people and obviously you know, some of the things that started that happened with young people because obviously it, it, that's where it all starts and as you said it, it's something that 
is generally seen with older people. However, it probably surfaces itself a lot a lot earlier than that, or, or rather takes, it plants its seed a lot earlier than that and has a long-term impact later down the line. Absolutely. What are some of the things that then from a, just a general standpoint, you know, this is sport related and outside of the sport that we can start to think about doing to kind of steer away from the potential risks of it. Young, and I'm talking young, you know, maybe five, 10, 11, 12 year olds. Yeah. I think brain development is another aspect. So you have to think about this. So our brains usually develop from childhood until we are in our twenties. So I'm afraid if you're past your mid-20s, you're past your brain peak. So I'm long past my brain peak. Um, that's how it is. Uh, and during that time, our brain still develops, not necessarily creating more nerve cells, but also pruning, becoming more efficient. And that's why people usually are you know, in the end teens, beginning 20s, they have their peak brain power, we would call this. So if you disrupt this, of course, in uh, sport, if people have head injuries, this can have quite long-lasting impact. And as you say, it really has life course implications. So we need to be quite careful. The, for example, the Scottish FA, of course, has already banned now heading balls for under 12s yeah. because of that, which uh, is huge. And you might think, well, is this really justified because it might actually change the whole game? If you can't train the young people in heading the ball, who will be a good head, you know, ball header in the future? And this is a really a discussion to be had, which I don't know. All I can tell you is from the brain side is that these can have really kind of long-term impact. However, for children, or let's say for younger adults, we are much more resilient and the brain is so still pruning itself. We are, uh, the brain regenerates much quicker. It's therefore more an issue once you hit this middle age, because in middle age, our regeneration of our brain cells becomes slows down. And once we have then issues still happening at that time, then it has a much, much bigger impact on how we age than actually. So for children, the impact is still not known. There is very young, very likely one shouldn't, you know, one needs to be very careful, but especially in teens, it might, might not have to be, you know, as careful. Now, what can you practically do is very, very hard. As you say, for some sports, it's impossible. If we talk about, for example, boxing, how can you, how can you do boxing without, you know, hitting the, your opponent's head? It's really just how do you determine whether these kind of, for, for example, in the training, how, how severe the impact is. I think that's a lot of technology will come to that. And in football as well, I think heading the ball maybe might be, maybe there are different new techniques one can develop, which are less impactful on the brain. But I think heading the ball might be not so much the issue as having a proper concussion, as I said. So it's for the high risk really for the high-risk concussion sports where it's much more an issue like rugby, like American football, like boxing. And football, one just needs to be very, very careful about that. One should not let players go on playing if they had such an episode. This really, even if they don't have any symptoms, you need to be very, very careful that they recover properly. And that's why, of course, we have now the concussion substitutes in the Premier League, which is, I think, a fantastic thing. I think it was you for the first time recently, a couple of days ago. Exactly, exactly. Just been used. And for me, it's absolutely fantastic. But I can see that lots of sport purists might say this, it changes the nature of the game. So this is a discussion to be had. From the brain perspective, it's really just be very careful, especially with youngsters, if where they very often can be, of course, very, you know, active and uh, 
So I have, for example, I have four nephews all crazy about football, you know, and they're all between five and 18. And they are very rough how they play, obviously, you know. So what just needs to be quite careful to teach them right from the beginning what's really that they should really protect their head. That's the key, key aspect. Other things might heal much better, but the head is really the most precious resource. No, definitely. I, I, totally, I totally can see that. Um, Mark, I'm just conscious of time. You know, you know I, I'm, I'm sure, you know, the listeners, as, 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 as well as I have, you know, I've taken away some fantastic elements from this conversation and picked up some really key things for me to consider in terms of the way I, I guess, not just work with my athletes, but even did take care of my own brain. Um, Absolutely. Please do. <laughs> I, want, I want to thank you again for your time. You know, just um, if there was any listeners that did have any questions that they kind of wanted to maybe touch base on with you, uh, either off the back of what you said in this conversation or beyond, what would you, uh, where, where could they get in touch with you to do that? Yes, they're, you know, very happy for them to, to email me directly uh, on, you know, and I'm, I'm not sure you can put that on your website, my email address, I'm very happy. I also have uh, my own kind of blog, which is more on dementia science, but you can find dementiascience.org and also on Twitter and Facebook. I'm, I'm, I think I'm too old for Instagram. I still haven't figured that out. So there you go. Or TikTok is even TikTok has passed me, long past me. But if you want to get in touch, please do. I'd love to discuss this. Uh, you know, I generally am a big sports fan, love football. As you can hear, I'm German by background, which is, creates always an interesting situation during a football World Cup in England. So it's a great way. Very happy to help and uh, talk to people and help them in terms of if I can help you with brain health or brain from a brain perspective to give you any input. Excellent. You know, just on that note, you kind of maybe touched on it a little bit there, but you know, one question I do have for all the guests that do come on the show, it's this, you know, you just by having this conversation with me, you know, you've made yourself part of this coach's network. Um, so what's one message that you'd want to kind of leave with everyone else? Well, for me, I think, you know, you know, a healthy heart is a is a healthy brain is the key message if you wanted to just have that i think that's really absolute key uh, for people and not only if you're younger but if you're middle-aged and older and if you can encourage your you know if you're younger and you encourage your parents to be more active that's great i still try with my dad <laughs> and he, he's not very receptive so i know from my own experience this can be a very interesting conversation Brilliant. And just another final note. Um, just want to say thank you again for your time. Uh, you know, very much appreciate it. I'm sure, like I said, the listeners have probably taken away a lot from this as I have, and I'm sure they will be in touch if they've got any further questions. Thank you again, Michael. Please do. Thank you so much for having me. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.